Before this episode begins, I wanted to let you know that we're starting a new support group for adoptive parents called Aptitude. It's for adoptive parents and foster parents who are facing adoptions challenges. Please find our website at safehomefamilies.com aptitude. Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who has been dealing with drug addiction, depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Today's guest is Brenda Bash Cooper, and I've known her since I was about 12 or 13 years old in the church where I grew up in Des Moines, but I know her much better now through Facebook and talking with her about this episode, so I'm excited to introduce her to you. It's funny how those childhood relationships, you know, come back around nowadays with Facebook. Uh, so yeah. welcome, Brenda. Thank and, you, Beth. Yeah. And Brenda was very excited about the episode we had a couple of episodes ago with Stan DeWitt, his adoption story. And Brenda is also adopted. And so is Joey. And I think there's just a lot of uh, to dig into with adoption. And I think a lot of people don't understand adoption. They think it's happy, happy, joy, joy. Yay. And uh, it's not always like that, right? <laughs> so she's going to talk a little bit about that. And I also wanted to let you know, uh, professionally, she is the Director of Programs and Services at Central Iowa Trauma Recovery Center, which sounds like a really intense job. And so I'm sure she'll tell us a little bit about that as well. But um, she deals with trauma on the daily and her own her own trauma as well with the relinquishment in the adoption process. So so welcome. And do you want to just tell us a little bit about, you know, yourself, where you are and 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 then we'll go into your adoption story. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm the director of programs and services. I think it's interesting that I don't know why I'm starting off with my job because that's not the most important thing about me, right? You know, (laughs) (laughs) I live in Des Moines, Iowa. I was born here. I have always lived here. I probably will always live here. (laughs) And I have two kids. So I'm a parent of two teenagers also. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them is just about to enter her 20s um, here in a little bit. I have two bonus children through my second marriage. I have, for my entire career, worked with victims of crime. Um, I started doing that at a county attorney's office as a victim witness coordinator and then worked as a violent crime counselor for several years after that before uh, getting the job where I am, where I'm still you know, continuing to work with people that have experienced crime-related trauma. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I just don't know how you do that every day. God bless you. <laughs> Uh, it's such a needed service. I meet people on not their best day. Yeah. And and that's kind of the blessing of the job, right? Because you get to see people recover. You get to witness the resilience of the human spirit. And so it really is, you know, people say that to me a lot, like, oh, I don't know how you could do your job, but it's, it's so rewarding to watch people, how our bodies that are built to heal do that mm-hmm. and how you do that in connection with other people. So it's really a a beautiful job too. Oh, I'm sure you're very, very needed and valued and, and loved where, you, where you're working. And thank you for all of that you're doing for the community. Well, so you were adopted and why don't you just tell us the basics, you know, how old you were and that kind of thing? Sure. 
I was five days old when I was adopted. My adoption was completely closed. Um, the story goes, uh, my parents, they were working with their doctor on fertility issues. And they said to him one day, well, we got on the, a list for Lutheran social services. And um, he said, well, you know, I might have a baby for you. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, okay. You know, they figured that it would be some time, you know. And so whereas some of us have gestational periods of nine, 10 months, um, they had 48 hours. And so that's all they had. <laughs> they um, got a call very soon after that discussion that there was a baby. Uh, Oof, and so that actually comes, transition. yeah, it actually comes into play later on in the story as I kind of found out, you know, what was happening on the other end of things. Mm-hmm. But this uh-huh. particular doctor delivered me and he also delivered both of my children. And so oh, wow. <laughs> um, he's pretty special. He's pretty special. So, well, so I grew up in a, I guess you'd call it an idyllic situation, right? I kind of won the adoption lottery. That's what I like to say that I had parents who there was never a moment of truth in my life where people told me, you know, what you've known is a lie, you know, or that's not accurate. I've always known a popular book at that time was the chosen baby. I think I was read that about a million times. And so I grew up with sort of a love and a reverence respect for my biological mother. Mm -hmm. Um, Didn't talk a whole lot about biological dad. At one point, my mom wrote a letter to the social worker that did my adoption and uh, was answered back. I was one at that time. It was 1974. The letter is dated. And she asked the social worker what, you know, since the adoption was closed, what could she tell Brenda when she asks? And so the letter reads, it looks like the social worker went and asked bio mom different things. And so it was reported like her height and her weight and there was a discussion about the biological father that he uh, knew about the adoption, that they had talked about getting married, gave his height and weight and eye color and hair color. And so I knew of the existence of that letter. Uh, my parents died in 2003. And so when I turned 25, I do remember going, since I worked in the criminal justice system, you know, I went to the judge who did my adoption and oh, I was wow. like, I don't know, long shot, but, you know, 25 years ago, I was, you know, you did my adoption and he asked who, you know, my parents' names were and he, he didn't remember. So there've been like little, you know, times where I've tried to like figure out, you know, who, who my biological parents were. Some of the things, you know, growing up that I noticed are, you know, I didn't know my ethnicity. I didn't have a, a connection to that. Like my family would be very into genealogy and would do all of these, you know, things. And and I just didn't feel quite connected to it. So although I had, you know, the secure attachment, even though I had, you know, all of that good stuff, I grew up with this sense of, I don't, I've struggled with not being good enough my whole life, mm-hmm. you know? And so as I've grown in the, you know, as I've grown up and as I've studied attachment and as I've, you know, looked into adoption studies and, you know, things like that, just trying to see how adoption and attachment fit together. I should also note that my parents were, uh, we had foster children in our home all growing up. Um, we so did too. From, from the time I was seven until the time I graduated from high school, we had foster children wow. um, in our home. 
And so it always fascinated me, this idea, you know, like about kids and, and attachment and adoption and, you know, what happens Mm. there. And so in my studies, you know, and, and learning about epigenetics, you know, and what happens in utero and the relationship that's built, you know, and I think we talked about before, Beth, you know, just the idea that at some point there's a disconnection, mm-hmm. whether you have the most ideal circumstances, whether biological mother is this, it's an act of love, which is how it was presented mm-hmm. to me this entire mm-hmm. time wasn't, was that act um, of love and you knowing that that was the best thing for me, mm-hmm. that there's a disconnection there at some point where me as a developing fetus, the stress that she was going through, my brain is developing in that, you know, the cells that are going to become my brain and my eyes and my, you know, all of my, who I am are growing up in that stress soup. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also at some point, you know, my brain's developing and I'm hearing a certain heartbeat and I'm feeling a certain gait, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm hearing a certain voice. And at some point, there's a disconnection from that where you go to somebody and the gate is different. The smell is different. The sound is different. Everything's different. And so how much does that play into human development? Yeah. What does that child think? They don't, you know, they don't understand what's going on. So they. Right. So that knowledge coexists with this feeling that, you know, I've never been good enough. Is it causal? I don't know. But it certainly could lend to that idea. You know, mm-hmm. that I wasn't good enough to keep. Yeah. Um, Certainly something that Joey deals with regularly. Oh, that's one of his yeah. just core things. He doesn't feel worthy of anything, really. Um, yeah. And there's just not anything. I mean, my parents could not have done it better. And my biological mother, you know, I have met her. And, you know, we can get into that story, too. But I've met her. And, you know, she did the best that she could with the information that she had. And, and it was a selfless act on her part, you know, I, Mm -hmm. an act of love on her part, Mm -hmm. but yet there is still just the biology, the chemistry that goes of that with that disconnection. And so it's a fascinating idea topic for me, you know, to think about and to think, I wonder if that's where that comes from. You know, at some point as a developing infant, I realized that I wasn't wanted, wasn't mm-hmm. going to stay, you know, and yeah. have that. And what impact does that have then on my brain development, on my ability to relate to other people, mm-hmm. on my ability to regulate my own emotions? You know, how much does that? Mm-hmm. And and of course, it can't be just one thing, right? We don't know enough about the brain, you know? So there's that piece and, you know, how much vitamin D did I have in my yeah. diet plus the attachment here minus this attachment there, you know, it's just, it's not a causal thing. And so I, I also don't want to say, well, I wasn't good enough because look at that. And it's someone's fault or that it's, you know, that there's some blame there. People could not have done it better and Mm -hmm. sort of puts it to me to exist with that knowledge Mm -hmm. and to do something about it with it around it, you know, whatever, whatever we want to to do. We all have stuff that we need to work on, right? Yeah, yeah. To rewrite those <laughs> old scripts that you've been telling yourself since before you even had thinking thoughts, you know, to, right. to look at it from an adult point of view that's had healing work done and really mm-hmm. self-aware and you go, huh, that's where that comes from. 
but I'm a grown up now. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and now yeah. I can understand. But it's so hard. It's so primal, and uh, it's in your the that base part of your brain that's just like yes. the instinctual. What do they call it? The, the lizard brain, right? Yes, the reptilian brain, right? Oh, yeah, the downstairs brain. Some yeah. people talk about that. And, yeah, so just that foundational basic. stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because at least when I was growing up, you know, when we were growing up, adoption was kind of a, kind of a, an honorable thing to do. It was, you know, saving these children who would have had a horrible life, blah, 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 going overseas like I did. Joey's from Japan, and uh, although Japan is not known for uh, overseas adoptions, it's very few there, but, you know, it used to be everyone went to China and Korea and all of that. And, and there is, like you said, you had a fabulous life with your parents and probably your birth parents couldn't have given you the kind of the standard of living or the, the maturity of your, your parents that you had. Right. Still pretty confident about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and And bio mom did feel that way. You know, I, I, I can give you, I can't give you what you, what you need. I mean, it it Uh really was. And that was, she was giving you out of that. Mm -hmm. And so there's that it's all good. That part's really good. And it just does a number on you. There's something like 40% more adopted kids than non-adopted kids end up in uh, rehab or with substance abuse issues. It's like a staggering amount of uh, pain that is documented, you know, Mm -hmm. that you can look at people that are in prison, people that are, you know, all sorts of really tough things, an extraordinary amount of them are adopted. So there's something in there. Yeah. Biology is not a small little thing. It's really, it's really something. (laughs) It is. It is. The beauty I think too, is also the recognition that the brain is pliable, right? You burn Mm. some of those pathways. And you most certainly can mm-hmm. burn new ones. Yeah. Can, you know, did I have a secure base? Did I form a secure attachment? I did. I did. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a uh, benefit for me, you yeah. know, moving forward um, in, in my life. Um, the lack of that would have, you know, probably made some major <sighs> you know, issues in my life. And growing up with children that had, you know, those insecure attachments, those disorganized Mm -hmm. attachments that caused more struggles or the, you know, I know we've meant, you've mentioned on here before, I think adverse childhood experiences, you know, and the brain developing, you know, differently in that relational piece. You know, I got the benefit of having an early relational piece. Mm. Um, But the beauty is the brain is pliable. It can heal and it can change. I don't know. I think about it in a way, you know, that I'm, I'm right-handed, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I learn to be left-handed? I can. Is it so hard and uncomfortable and un, it doesn't feel right and it causes anxiety and all of that stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I can do it. I can, yeah. you know, do that. Yeah. If you broke your right arm, you could exist with your left arm, right? You, yes. And your, your brain can readjust. It takes yeah, like you said, it takes like, uh, it's frustrating and painful at the beginning. But yeah, yeah, it's amazing. The human spirit and the brain is, it can rewire itself, but it takes effort though. You have to have enough yeah. support around you to be stable enough to look at this stuff. This, If you were not in a stable place and started looking at your adoption trauma, I think it would push you over the edge, right? If, you know, 
if you're not in a safe space to do it. Have, yeah. have you ever read the book, uh, The Primal Wound? No, but I've heard of it. It's a really, uh, oof, it was a tough book to read as an adoptive parent. <laughs> yes. But it was uh, what really woke me up. A friend of mine told me when Joey was struggling toward the beginning, she said, you know what? I think I remember Joey was adopted. Have you ever looked into his adoption trauma? I'm like, adoption trauma? What? You know, as the adoptive mom, I'm like, what? I didn't traumatize him. I felt guilty. I still do sometimes. But so I read this book, The Primal Wounds by Nancy Verrier or Verrier. I don't know how to pronounce her name. V-E-R-R-I-E-R. I'll put a link to it in the notes. It is an excellent book and it helped me so much to understand that you can't just take a child away from its birth parent and think everything's going to just be fine. So, yeah. 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 Some of the literature I even read talked about, you know, if permanency was established within the first year, you know, that a child would, would develop as a biological child. And I just thought what? that's a long time. And I thought, you know, and even in my case in five days, you know, I mean, in the first five days that you have a child, how much do you touch them and hug <sighs> them and kiss them and smell them and interact yes. with them, you know, in it. And, and I didn't have that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I so. Do you know if you were with your birth mother for those five days or just in the maternity ward? Yeah, I was not. Um, they asked her if she wanted to hold me and she said yes. And so she did get to hold me and she okay. said that was really, really hard. Yeah. Um, it was one of the hardest decisions, oh, you know, can't of course, imagine. such a difficult decision for her mm-hmm. to make, but felt like, you know, I mean, I have no, you know, that, that was kind of my thing growing up too. I wanted to find her because I wanted to tell her thanks, you know, that it, it turned out, it worked out, you know, it was good. And so oddly, I ended up finding my biological father first. <laughs> oh, you did. Oh, let's talk about how you had a reconciliation with your birth parents. Sure. So, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, I didn't really know my ethnicity. Um, I didn't really know my background. Where, where do I, you know, where did I come from? And my parents, you know, both sides of the family, like I mentioned, were pretty into genealogy. And so, you know, could trace the family back for a really long time. And I just was like, well, that's not me. And I would notice, you know, people would be very proud of their backgrounds, you know, there you'd have Italian festivals, St. Patrick's Day, people mm-hmm. would wave their flags, mm-hmm. you know, you have Oktoberfest. I mean, there's just yeah. all kinds of celebrations around, yeah. you know, your your ethnicity. And yeah, I, I grew up with Scandinavian days in Ottawa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so and my yeah, and I grew up like my family largely Norwegian, you know, uh-huh. and and so that impacts the things that you're cooking at holidays yeah. uh-huh. and you know, all of that stuff you know, but I knew that that wasn't mine, mine. Mm-hmm. And so um, here comes ancestry.com and it's like, Hey, uh, you know, you can do this. So I knew that if I spit in the tube and sent it to the people who look at the spit, that there's a chance I could find, but my real goal was, you know, wanting to find that kind of history, that background, my roots, you mm-hmm. know? And so the results came back and I am, Irish, which is really, it was kind of interesting because, you know, if you asked me on my junior high papers, you know, I mean, I might even have it written down several times. There's anywhere you'd like to go. Where would you like to go? And I would write down Ireland. Oh, really? And so, yeah. And so in 2015, I had the ability, this was before I did the DNA, 
Um, and so I had the gift of being able to go to Ireland and we traveled around a specific part of Ireland. And then I found out when I got my DNA test back that that's exactly the area (gasps) that that my my roots are. So I kind of connected to my roots before I knew they were mine. Um, So that was kind of cool. But then I was sitting in a parking garage uh, one afternoon, one August afternoon, and I got an email from Ancestry.com. And it said, we found a match. It's a parent-child match. There's no prep for this. You just get an email that says, oh, hey, we found a parent-child match. And I was like, oh. Like in between your ads and your work emails, you have this email sitting there. I know. Oh my gosh. And I was just like, holy crap. And I called, you know, called my best friend and I told her, and I mean, they give you the person's name. It was my biological dad, um, and gave me his name. And so I am immediately, you know, on social media, I'm looking up everything that I can about this person, trying to figure it out. I think I found him lives in Iowa, has always lived in Iowa, you know, (laughs) and, and not terribly far from me, you know, I mean, it was just crazy. So I send this awkward email to this person. And I'm like, I, I know you got this email too. And I'm trying hard not to sound like a really, a PD Eastman misprint, hoping that he'd get the connection of the, are you my mother author, you know? Cause I'm dorky like that. And, um, <laughs> I get so, it. and I got no response. <gasps> oh no. Did that break your heart? And I was like, yeah, no response. For how long? For how long? Like uh almost four months. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I would have been uh waiting like after about five minutes. I'd be like, okay, where's the email? (laughs) Four months. So that really caused me to be like, you know, I've never been rejected by these people, right? You know? And I mean, there's that question of, you know, if you go to meet them, that that can is open, the worms are out, they're not going back in. Yeah, you know, and you know, the way this very rosy adoption story that I had been told, mm-hmm. I've never been rejected by either of them. Okay. And so now I'm, you know, 45 years old and can I handle this? Yeah. And it's weird because it's this overwhelming emotion. It's a lot to take in, you know, and, and maybe more than I even anticipated. There was just a lot of, a lot. Um, I had so many questions and um, was nervous and and then nothing, just radio silence. And so I have a very good friend who, um, she was like, let me call him, let me call him. And I'm like, uh, what do I have to lose? You know, I have lived without this person for 45 years in my life. It's a, they're a stranger to me, you know, and I can, can live another 45 without this person in my life. You know, I have a family. I don't have a huge void to fill. Um, so I'm just going to leave it at that. You rationalized and, it nicely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> try, right? Yeah. And so she called and he's like, uh, the person that was described in the letter is not him. So, so he no. did not know that he had a child. He didn't so know. So this is a lot like Stan's story. Yes. That's and he was like, perked up about that story. That I don't think like it's yours. me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't think it's me. I think it's my brother, you know, the, uh, and he's like, I'm not sure I trusted like the DNA. Like I, maybe it's like wrong saying it's a parent child. I mean, he just was like, no way. So in December of that year, I get an email from him and he said, 
I don't know if I buy the parent child thing, but you're clearly family. So, you know, and I sent him this long rambly email about how I don't want anything. I just wanted to tell you that it was okay. Um, you know, just trying to lay out the expectation, you know, so that he's not wondering like, what does this person want from me? And I don't want to disrupt your family. And I don't want to, you know, do, I, I just, wanted to know who you were and to tell you that it all worked out. And I didn't think about it really beyond that. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe just go to coffee or something. And he's like, well, you're clearly family. So why don't we go to coffee? And that's the first time that we met it was nice. on December 27th of that year. And we had, and we just talked, talked, talked for like two hours at the wow. coffee shop. It was really interesting. So as it turns out, his brother took the test as well. So I kind of joked around and I'm like, well, I have uncle dad, number one, or uncle dad, number two, I don't really know, <laughs> you know, which person this is. And as it shook out, you know, the, the DNA test was, was right. And okay. um, we got it, got it figured out, but he did not know then who my biological mother was. So he had no idea he had a child at all. Mm-mm. Wow. So that opened up a whole can of worms for your, for your birth father. Wow. Can you imagine for him? No. You know, and so here he is, you know, How what do you do with he? this information? Uh, 65. Yeah. And what do you do with this information? How do, you, how do you process that? Whoa. I know. And I keep asking him, I'm like, you, how, how that had to just hit you like a ton of bricks. I knew there was a you, but you yeah. didn't know there was me. Yeah. The dads are particularly... That the dads are the only ones that can have that issue, right? The moms yes. definitely know they have a child. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so, you know, he really was kind of faced with, you know, what are you going to do? You know, and I was faced with, I already have a dad, not looking for a dad. And he's like, I already have a daughter, you know, an only child daughter, oh, you no. know? So there was an issue of that too. Like, I don't want to unseat her, yeah. you know, either. And so we really have had, it's been three years now, and we've really had this, these really great open conversations about this and just really, you know, how we're coming to terms with it and developing that relationship. And it can be overwhelming just in that you have to make space for another person. And I don't know what that would be like if my parents were alive, you know, I don't know that it would, I would do that, you know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I have a, I have a family, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a whole people that love me and care about me. I have parents, I have a sister, you know, Mm -hmm. and so coming around to that, okay, now I have an extra dad, a bonus dad, Mm -hmm. bio dad. Like I just called him by his first name for the longest time. And Mm -hmm. I still, you know, it's kind of hard to like, where, when do you cross over to do you call that person dad? I don't know. So that's developing, I guess. So when I would talk to, I have a half sister and when I would talk to her, who's young enough to be my child, (laughs) (laughs) she's, she's so sweet. And, but I would always say your dad, you know, and, and I've just, and I, I've found that being direct and setting expectation up front is, has been the most helpful. Like these are, these are the things that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. You can or cannot do that, or you will, or won't, or want, you know, want to, or don't same with her. I just, you know, or with my, I have four half siblings, three maternal, one paternal. And, um, I just have kind of left it open Mm -hmm. to whatever 
contact yeah. that they want to have with me because I accomplished the goal that I had mm-hmm. set. And that was just to say, thanks. You know, oh, you did oh, the nice. right thing. I bet what if kids, you know, that are young, like um, I'm thinking like when you're 18, technically you can go looking for your birth family. If you don't have a lot of life behind you, I think that you might expect much more from your birth parents than you do at this stage when you were doing this at 45 that mm-hmm. you had worked through a lot of it and grown personally and knew what you needed from them or what you needed to give them. But I bet, right. do, you, do you think that that happens a lot with younger people seeking out their birth family that they're really looking for another parent? To parent right. Them? And I, I think that, you know, um, growing up with kids who, you know, were removed for, for cause, yes. you know, there's a difference there also. And to romanticize this idea, the people that placed or had children removed, they have made decisions and choices based on the information that they felt was best. And so it's easy, I think, for when we're younger and our brains aren't fully developed, you know, to think about if this, then that, if this, then that, Uh, this could happen, this, you know, what are, what are my best case scenarios? What are my worst case scenarios mm-hmm. and how might I deal with those and to be well supported through those things because mm-hmm. you just don't know. Um, and in my case, like I mentioned, I had never been rejected by them. This has mm-hmm. been this beautiful love story, yes. you know, and now I was facing, what if they tell me we've gone on with our life? Yeah. You know, like that happens I don't, to people. I mean, especially bio dad, he had no idea it existed. He could have easily just been like, totally. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I don't want to deal with you. Done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally and so I had to prepare myself for that. And even at 45, and even at, you know, having this life experience behind me, there was still some nervousness and more emotion than I maybe anticipated. Wow. And so. I know that there's an issue of time, you know, as I got older, I mean, I was getting to the point where I was like, I may find that they're dead. Yeah. If you wait long enough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, will, will I have regret? And so I really wanted to clarify my own intentions. What do I want out of this? Mm -hmm. And what do I want out of that, that I can control? So really it was, I wanted to say to them, X, Y, Z. Nice. And that was going to have to be good enough. Yeah. And then I didn't really think about it past that. Okay. Because I couldn't plan for all the different scenarios. Yeah. You have no idea what you're going to get. So you, you're in touch with your birth father and your half sister yes. on that side. You see them a couple times a year or something like that. Oh no. We meet like monthly. Oh, monthly. <laughs> we, oh, really? Oh, yeah, we were meeting like almost every week for a while, just oh. like, I mean, it was, exciting. it was fascinating. Yeah. But we, you know, we get together about monthly. Um, my half sister lives in another state. And okay. so um, it's more communication via text, mm-hmm. but that was one thing that he did do. He was like, I want you two to meet. So he nice. flew me to her oh, and I got that's nice. spend some time uh, there, that's which was, nice. which was really lovely. I will say that I have a best case scenario meeting biological family too you know, that immediate family. Um, and I really, uh, because they've been so kind and Mm. to me, nice. and I really have just left it up to them who they tell and what they, you know, because they have their own story too around my adoption. 
sure. they have their own life too around that adoption. It isn't just about me. And so I have to let them drive that piece. Yeah, that makes sense. So how did you find your birth mother? Well, because my dad was like, I don't know who this could be. <laughs> um, I had a little help. Uh, a friend of mine called me one day and said, do you want to know who it is? And I said, yeah. And said, okay. So I'm not quite sure how that all went down. And mm. I know enough not to ask the questions, but um, uh, a day later, um, I came back, I got uh, the adoption paperwork was handed to me. Oh, wow. So however they got that, I don't know. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Definitely. But I, I suspect that they may perhaps know a private investigator or they have some connection somewhere. I'm not really sure. You know, I told you at, that my doctor delivered me. And yeah, so, so in what's his records somewhere, he would have it, right? Biological, right? My biological mom was his patient. And I remember when I went to him for my own appointment and I said, I understand my bio mom. You know, he knew me right away. And he was oh, like, oh, it's been 21 years since I've seen you. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I understand my biological mom was your patient. And he said, well, you know, I'd have to check my records. You know, and then from kind of behind the sheet, he said, you know, some people go on with their life and they don't want to be found. And they just, you know, um, some people just go on with their life and they don't tell the rest of their family oh, and yeah. they prefer that they're not found. Yeah. And so that really set me back a little bit because I was like, okay, I have this letter and in it, it says that bio mom agrees to have contact with Brenda when she's older. Oh. Um, yet I have this doctor who I knew was involved mm. in this adoption somehow mm. um, telling me, you know, some people just go on with their life and don't tell anybody. Mm. And so I really kind of took a break from it for a while and I could tell that when I would mention it to my mom, you know, she always, I don't know why 25 was the magic number, but she said, when you're 25, we'll help you. Okay. Maybe she about brain development, you know, before we were talking about it. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, when I mentioned it to her, I could tell she was a little bit sad, you know? Oh. And so I just kind of let it go. And uh, five years later, you know, after she died, it was then yet another 15 before I was ready to, you know, really do this. Yeah. As it turned out, there was a connection between the doctor and my biological mother's family. Okay. And I, I suspect it seems like perhaps I was kind of plucked, like handpicked. Like I know this couple and this is going to be a good one. And I know oh, you and I care about you. And so I'm going to make this connection. Oh, uh, uh, not with an adoption agency or anything, just like a mm -hmm. informal. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was interesting how that went, but mm -hmm. you know, she, bio mom, how did I find out? So I got her name. So I text bio dad and I'm like, does this name ring a bell? Oh yeah. I've known her like my whole life. Tell her I said, hi. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> no, that's bio mom. And I got back these capital letters and exclamation points of an expletive, you know, and it was just like, Oh my so he was still in touch with Nine. your birth mom throughout his yeah oh, but knew God. knew her yeah and so um he was he was just stunned so i had my friend you know who reached out the uh, let me call him friend mm -hmm. okay let me call her i thought okay well, maybe that's easier you know going through okay. a third party <laughs> and that it didn't go that well with bio mom she thought maybe she was being scammed 
<laughs> oh no, <laughs> you know. And so I really was like, oh no, she doesn't want to meet me, you know, have to deal with this. And so then I kind of just came up with, again, back to my own expectation. I just want to say, I'm going to deliver this message and she, you know, she can do with it what she wants after that. So I composed this Facebook message and sent it to her and just left it. And she said, and I mentioned the doctor's name and she said, when you said the doctor's name, I knew it was you. Okay. And so and that's been a lovely thing too, to hear what it was for her, you know, going through that and get that perspective. And she really did it um, out of a loving heart. And she did. And she was like, you. you know, I knew that I'd never see you again. I mean, I, I knew at that time, you know, I might not ever see you again. And that was really hard, but I knew that if you were like me, you'd eventually find me. <laughs> and so it, it happened that way. And I was able to tell her, you know, why it took so long and for me to make contact with her, but I don't know if I honestly, Beth, I don't know if I could have done all that and made room for all that and those relationships if my parents were still here. Yeah. Stan also, when I interviewed him, he also waited until his parents were gone. I, I'm sure that's pretty common. Even if yeah. your parents say, like I told Joy, I'll help you find your birth parents, but it puts the kids still in a position of in between. I'm sure that yeah. would feel awkward. So. Yeah, I don't want to disappoint you, you know. Yeah. Um, and and again, this romanticized idea of what mm. the parents may be, yeah. you know. And I don't know if at such a young age, you know, before our brains are fully developed, before that prefrontal cortex, that executive thinking that you know, I can think about the consequences and the future and the planning and, you know, all of that, that it's a super duper idea. I mean, I just think it'd be harder. Yeah. You know, yeah. what you run into. So um, you're still in relationship with your birth mom? I am. Yes. We meet monthly. And she's also in Iowa still? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and has been. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, here's a weird little story. I went to a gym and I was doing yoga. And as I was talking with my bio dad, I realized, wait a minute, you went to the same yoga place. You're the guy in my yoga class. Like we oh did yoga gosh. together for months. Oh um, my gosh. Like I, I remember where his mat was. I remember, I mean, I know wow. I remember him from that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're that guy. Do you, you think know, like some, was, you had some psychic connection with him? Like, do you remember any other guys in your yoga class? Like maybe the universe was pointing him out to you like subconsciously. Maybe. I just wonder. Um, you know, I, I made note of him because there aren't a ton of guys in your Yeah, maybe there are not so many guys. You know? so maybe that maybe and I, what I remember about him is that he was, he was a little bit impatient with the class in front of us, <laughs> you know, and he was kind of like, uh, can we get a move on here? And I'm like, the old guy's impatient. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it has just been... That's been a really beautiful relationship. Yeah. I really enjoy it. And he has just leaned in. Beautiful. You know, and not overstepped. Like he he wanted to give my kids uh, gifts for their birthday. And he was like, I don't know what's appropriate. And I'm like, I don't even know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, they don't have a gift list on Amazon for your yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, child. And so family. we just found that we have to be really, you know, open, direct, vulnerable, you know, just mm. you have to talk about those expectations and you have to talk about, you know, what do you want out of this? Well, what do you want out of, you know, 
here's what I want, here's what I'm looking for, and we can alter it later, but this is, you know, fill in those unknowns for each other. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm so happy that it's turned out so well for you, and it's been a growing experience for all of you. So great. It has. Do you think that all of these issues that you've dealt with consciously and unconsciously around your adoption have helped you in your job, working with victims of violence and people who've undergone trauma, or is it completely a separate type of trauma? I would say that, you know, just the experience and the curiosity about the experience has led me to study more about, you know, attachment and most certainly, you know, that comes into play when you're working with any kind of trauma, particularly Mm -hmm. crime related trauma, or if you're dealing with, you know, childhood abuse um, and how the world is, you know, when you experience a crime related trauma it alters the way sometimes you view the world as safe and and uh, mm-hmm. and um, predictable place. Mm-hmm. And so, in in that it influences that knowledge, you know, then yes, mm-hmm. um, I think you know every experience that we do go through. I mean, I think the death of my parents probably it was sudden, not violent, mm-hmm. but sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly played, and then. Um, I, you know, had the both sudden and violent death of a partner and those experiences shaped, you know, maybe changed the way I I view the world and my understanding of deep grief. Yes. Yes. So you can be there for your clients and have a lot of empathy and understanding because you've been through some really tough stuff. Yeah, I it just it takes away some of that we them because yeah. I am them and they are me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean we're we're people that existing on souls on this planet breathing yeah. the same air. That at one time, you know, Beth's hurting and I'm helping, and the next time I'm hurting and Beth's helping. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's just looking at it from that perspective. Yeah, that's beautiful. I bet you do. I bet you do an amazing job at your with your clients and at your work and with your family. (laughs) Just try to, you know, always communicate that care about you and, Mm -hmm. and we all have a mess. So in all of the mess that you show up with, that I've shown up with, you know, to just um, have that Mm -hmm. unconditional positive regard, if we want to be technical about it, but just that unconditional love for another human being Mm -hmm. and try to help, alleviate their suffering to the degree that I can, Mm -hmm. um, knowing that it's a process, right? Your body Mm -hmm. has a process to heal Mm -hmm. and I can offer some thoughts or suggestions or, you know, but it's your journey. Mm -hmm. It's your, you know, it's your, Mm -hmm. it's your story to tell. It's your thing to choose. And I will agree with some choices and not with others, but guess what? They have the life experience. Yeah. They've shown up with it. They've tried things. They're experts yeah. in their own life, right? Yeah. Um, as, like, we, as we all are. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those books where you get to choose where you want to go at the end of each chapter. <laughs> yeah. You know, there are some yeah. choices that might be better or worse, but it depends on what you grew up with, what your tools are, what your resources are. And so everyone makes a choice and we'll never know what would happen if you took the other choice. We just right. Going. The benefit of going back and changing your mind and trying it over, you know, okay, that didn't work. So I'm going to try something different. 
But in the world of, you know, coping through unhealthy ways, I mean, certainly in my work, you meet plenty of people who people find what works for them, you yeah. know, and, and really my job is to increase the tools in the toolbox so that there are more options. Oh, um, so if someone's struggling with something, they're going to, I mean, we, we don't, we don't want to hurt and we're going to find that which is effective to, to take care of that. And so if we can offer up different things to try, mm-hmm. I think that's the, you know, that's the best yeah. I can do yeah. um, that. You know, have you thought of this? Have you tried that? Would you try that? Something else first. Um, yeah. And it may just be a seed that you plant and they'll remember years down the road. Oh yeah. That lady told me to try X, Y, and Z. <laughs> or they might do it right then and there. And then you, Maybe. you can watch the transformation. Maybe, but there's hope. There's always hope that it can change. It's not going to be fun all the time. It's hard. You know, we all have hard and we all have mess and we all have stuff that we wouldn't want broadcast out into the world or or whatever. And so it's that lack of judgment and just, you know, I mean, I think that's so beautiful. You exemplify that so well, Beth, you know, in your work and in your parenting. Yeah, um, we're trying to just decrease the stigma around it because this the stigmas around addiction and mental illness it makes everything worse. So we're just yeah. trying to do our little tiny part in this little corner of the world to to let people know that you know people who are addicted to substances are still people with feelings and and <laughs> you know they're still in there. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah, and it's not an us and them like you were saying. It's not. Oh, I'm over here and he's over there. No, we're walking together. We're all walking each other home, right? We're just Yes. Yes. And it's easy. You know, you find that in in the world of criminal justice, right? Mm. I mean, especially, I mean, if you ask um a prosecutor, who do you want on your jury on a sexual assault trial? Do you want men or women? You know, mm. in a like say is a uh, a male on female assault. Mm-hmm. You know, so the man is the defendant. Do you want men or women on your juries? And, and they say, well, I want men. I don't want women on the jury because women are so hard on other women. If I, you know, well, you broke the, you broke the girl rules. You know, if it were me, I would have X, Y, Z, you know, and, and we're so like, and even in the helping fields, you know, um, you can see that attitude of we, them, we, them, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's sad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just, there, there are so many circumstances where just sheer luck or perhaps yeah. a, an extra, I don't know, you know, I don't know why I didn't end up where somebody else was. There's no yeah. reason for it other than whatever happened. And I don't know, I don't know what, but um, there will be a time where I'm hurting too, mm-hmm. you know, or that mm-hmm. I will have made a mistake or that I will yeah. have done something. And who do I want on the, looking at me when I'm coming for help? You know, mm-hmm. I want to be that person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because it will be me. It has been me. Yeah. We all need, we all need help at some point or another. And um, uh, it's, it's good that there are people like you out there to, to be that help. And hopefully, um, you know, these messages of acceptance and empathy can be spread far and wide. <laughs> yeah. And hope, like, and hope, you hope. know, there's always um, hope. 
Yeah. Yeah. Things can get better. Well, well, thank you, Brenda. This has been just so wonderful getting to know you so deeply through these interviews. And uh, thank you for sharing with our audience all that wonderful, helpful, inspiring information and, and just new paradigms to think about how we can be with each other out in the world. So, and with our children, I know uh, it's just really good reminders and good inspiration. Thank you so much. Thank you, Beth. And thank you for doing this podcast. That's really, it's really great. I'm so glad. I'm glad you, I'm glad you're listening in and glad to be reconnected with you all these years later. Just a note to our listeners. I was so deeply involved in that conversation that I didn't notice our dogs going berserk with our neighbor dogs. So I'm so sorry for all the dog noise in the last part of that episode. But thank you for enduring through to the end. And we're really glad that you're supporting Safe Home Podcast. Please share it with any other families that you know who might have struggling teens or for whom this adoption message might be helpful. And you can also find us on all the social media avenues. Just look for Safe Home Podcast in any of those search engines. And lastly, if you'd like to support us with a small monthly donation, you can do so very easily through Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash safe home. And your support helps keep this podcast commercial free. Thank you very much for your support. I wish you all well. And we want you to stay Stay safe. safe.